Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians and turning to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. This morning we're looking at verses 16 and 17, but we'll begin our reading back at verse 8. You'll find this on page 984 in the Church Bibles. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We have been looking at uh, this letter of Paul to the church in Colossae over the last number of weeks, And uh, in our study of this letter, you noticed that Paul kept hinting at uh, uh, problems that were arising in the church. Uh, You remember that he was warning about certain false teachings that were circulating. And that's why Paul said uh, earlier uh, to be aware, not to be deceived by plausible arguments. Uh, There were some things that were being said that weren't to be accepted even though they had a degree of plausibility to them. You remember that he went on uh, later and he said not only to be aware of these uh, plausible arguments, but then he warned about being taken captive by philosophy and human tradition uh, 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 that set themselves up in the place of Christ. So there was certain teachings that Paul wanted people to be on guard about and not to give into, not to embrace themselves. Well, this morning we want to begin to look at more directly some of those teachings that were circulating uh, in Colossae in the first century. And we want to look at it in order to come to the conclusion ultimately that because belonging to God is based uh, on faith in Christ, we're not to be bound by these shadows of the old covenant uh, administration. And so we want to look at verses 16 and 17 this morning in two thoughts. We want to think about the shadows, and then we want to think about the substance. 
the shadows referring to those things that were incorporated in the old uh, covenant era and the substance uh, referring to Christ. And what Paul is trying to do is to say it's not by embracing these things of the old covenant that one makes one's access to God. One finds one's acceptance with God, but rather it is based on our union with Christ, based on faith in Jesus. It's, it's all about our relationship with Christ. If we belong to Jesus, then we have uh, approval and access with God. So we want to look at those two thoughts, the, the shadows and the substance. Well, first, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink uh, or with respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It's important that we notice the, the word there, therefore. Paul is taking everything that he has said uh, in chapter 2 and now applying it to the situation at hand. Therefore. Therefore what? Therefore, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive together with Christ. When a believer comes to believe in Jesus, a transformation has occurred from death to life. That Paul explained that transformation, you remember in a number of different ways, that he said that it was like an inward cutting off of the old sinful nature. There, there's been a renovation happening inside of them that their old way of life has, has been cut off. And Paul said that happened when you had the circumcision of Christ applied to you, that your old way was dead, and that through Christ you have been made alive, that by being connected with Christ, a new way of life, a new outlook, a new hope, a new faith shapes the way that a believer lives. They have been united with Christ, and just as Jesus rose from the dead, so now the believer lives in him. And so Paul was using this language of death to life to talk about a, a change that happens on the basis of Jesus. Your sinful nature has died. It has cut, been cut off and a new nature has been implanted, has been made alive by the work of the Spirit. You remember he said that the record of debt has been wiped off. Your sins have been erased in Christ because they have been nailed to the cross. That if you're joined with Jesus, you no longer live with a list of condemnation over you, but rather you live forgiven in God's grace. And you remember that Paul described that the, for the one who believes in Jesus, they also are victorious. That the dominion of sin has been broken that Christ has triumphed over the kingdom of darkness and that there is victory in Christ. And so the believer now lives with hope. And so Paul has been saying all of these things in Colossians 2. You were dead, you've been made alive. You have found victory in Christ. The record of death has been wiped away. Your old nature has been changed. Therefore, Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you with respect to food and drink. What Paul is trying to get at is, is that the believer's standing with God is based on what they are doing with Jesus. It's not based on what they are doing with these old covenant ceremonies and rituals. 
And Paul is coming to the defense of the believer here, saying not to allow them to live controlled by the pressures of others. We, we can sympathize and appreciate something of the situation here when Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. When Paul says, don't let someone pass judgment on you, he's not meaning here, criticize. He means much more than that. To pass judgment on a person is really to exclude them. It's to say that they have no place in the people of God. And it means to say that they are excluded from God himself. That's why later in verse 18, he will say, let no one disqualify you. To be disqualified means that you have no standing, that you are not qualified. And so what Paul is talking about here when he says, don't let someone pass judgment on you. He's saying, don't let the opinions of others so weigh on you that they crush you. That they say that you don't have a place with God or that you don't have a place in the people of God because you're not observing these dietary laws. Because Paul is saying what is central is Christ, not the food laws, not the feasts, not the Sabbaths, not the new moons. It's Christ that is central. We live in a day where people talk about cancel culture. Uh, we live in a day when we know the pressure of when society at large deems something that we may believe or something that we may have done. People say that they have been canceled. They are, they are excluded now. They are, they are treated as the untouchables. We, we can feel that pressure and we don't want to be rejected by the society or by the, the, the larger grouping of a community. But that can happen even in a church. That can happen even in a religious gathering. People can feel that pressure of, of being rejected by God by the opinions of others. And so Paul here is, is actually doing something very pastoral. He's helping the church navigate what to do when others would make verdicts about us. How do we respond? How do we weigh things? What is central? Do we just do what other people tell us to do? Or do we find our confidence in Christ? That's why the therefore is so important. Everything hinges on how we have understood union with Christ. You were dead. God made you alive in Christ. You had a record of debt. It has been wiped away in Christ. You had an old sinful nature that was rebellious to God. You've been given a new nature by the Spirit in Christ. You were under the dominion of sin, living in darkness. And now you are brought into the kingdom of God in Christ. If you are in Christ, then don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Don't live under the, the verdicts of others but rather live under the will and the command of the Lord Jesus himself. And so this is Paul's whole point here. He is trying to protect the believer from being ultimately swayed by the opinions of others. The passing of judgment here, as we mentioned then, is really a, a much more than criticizing, but it is the idea of saying a person doesn't have any belonging. It is saying that this person is not part of the people of God. 
and this person is not accepted before God. But in order to appreciate uh, this uh, situation, it's good for us to think about what Paul is really attacking here. What are the shadows that he's referring to? And you notice that he mentions five things. He mentions the food and drink, and then he mentions also the, the feasts or the festivals, uh, the new moons and the Sabbaths. Um, what he's referring to here is the Old Testament dietary laws and the observance of days. Um, the Old Testament dietary laws uh, were something that the people of God observed. And they observed them for uh, uh, a couple of reasons. One reason was is it was a way of demarcating. It was a way of distinguishing the people of God from the nations. It was a way in which the people of Israel would live and act and associate differently from the nations around them. Uh, and so it had a way of, uh, uh, of identifying who are the people of God. It made them different. Um, but you remember that when Christ came into this world, Christ did away with those dietary laws. And he did that in a very simple way by saying it's not what comes into the body that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the body. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. Jesus, as Mark says in Mark 7, he declared all foods clean in principle by that very point. That the problem isn't what we eat, but the problem is rather inward in our hearts. You remember uh, Peter in the book of Acts when the Lord was directing him to evangelize to a Gentile, that he had a vision where he saw a great sheet with animals on it and he was told, kill and eat. And you remember Peter objected to that. I have never eaten unclean food. Uh, Peter wouldn't do it. And that had to be repeated to him three times. What was the Lord doing in that? He was teaching Peter that the people of God are not to be identified with reference to how they eat. The dietary laws had served their purpose of making a distinct people. But now that the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, has come, the Christ has come, the people of God are to be identified by their relation to him, not the food. And so Peter was learning it's not binding, not only on the Gentiles, but even for the Jews now, they are allowed to eat to the glory of God. Everything is to be received with thanksgiving. So the, the food law had that purpose, but in the removing of that dietary law, what the New Testament is celebrating is the removal of a barrier between Jew and Gentile. The people of God are not simply composed from one uh, society, living in a certain way, but rather it is made up of the nations that are now bonded in Christ. So the dietary laws had a purpose. It, it was to demarcate a people. This is a distinct people who live different from the nations. But that purpose finds its fulfillment in Christ. And now they are to find their identity with reference to Jesus. The food laws were also important for another reason. Uh, because they were to teach the people about uh, purity or cleanliness. Uh, the food laws taught the people the necessity of being clean in order to enter God's temple and to worship him. To be unclean prevented a person from being accepted. 
but Paul has already explained the record of your debt has been wiped away. What defiled you, what made you unclean, has been addressed. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are clean. You don't need the foods to ceremonially communicate cleanliness. You are clean in Christ, and therefore you can know that access before God's throne of grace. But what these advocates, what these people in the church were saying by insisting on those food laws, no, no, you have to observe these food laws. They were telling people you have to live according to the old age of things. They were failing to recognize the significance of Christ's coming and how it is an inbreaking of God's purposes, a new way of living. And so uh, their, their imposing of this standard was really failing to recognize uh, the works of God in Christ. So we have these dietary laws. Uh, they were shadows. They were shadows that were meant to help the people understand what, what marks off the people of God. They were meant to teach the people about the need to be pure, even as God is pure. But those shadows were ultimately fulfilled in Christ. In Christ, we are made clean. In Christ, we are a people unto the Lord, dedicated unto the Lord. But you notice that there's three other uh, descriptions that are given uh, that describe these shadows that Paul is so concerned about. Uh, they are the shadows of the feast, the new moon, and the Sabbaths. Uh, those three terms are actually to be pulled together. They belong together. Uh, and we can see that for several reasons. But as mentioned already, these, old, these terms are referring to Old Testament observance of days. Uh, we know that uh, for several reasons. Uh, one, uh, because Paul says they were a shadow of things to come. Uh, so he's talking about something that was part of God's purposes that pointed forward to a, a greater reality. So it was something that God had used. We know it's also uh, something that's based on the Old Covenant because Paul uses the word Sabbath, uh, which is a very suggestive word, a day that a word that means rest. But the other thing that's very convincing is, is that those three words, festival, uh, new moon, and Sabbath, all are found together as a phrase in the Old Testament many times. But more interesting than that, they are not found outside of the Bible or Jewish writings anywhere. There is no known instance of talking about a festival, new moon, and Sabbath outside of the vantage point of the Old Covenant faith. And so when Paul is talking here, he is talking about the observance of days being imposed on the church now in the New Covenant era. Something else that's significant is, is that when we step back and we think about the dietary laws, the food and the drink, or we think about the festivals, the moon, new moons and the Sabbaths, all of those terms are connected to the temple. They're all about how we have access with God through the temple. We can find access with God when we observe the right food laws. 
when we observe the right days, then we can come before God. There was a Jewish historian from the first century, the time period of the New Testament, and he wrote that the two chief marks of covenant disloyalty were the breaking of the food laws and the breaking of Sabbaths. How would they identify someone who was not loyal to God or not loyal to the people of Israel? They would mark them off by saying they didn't observe those laws of food and drink or of the new moons and the festivals and the Sabbaths. So here is Paul trying to argue that those things are really shadows. They were pointing to something greater. All of them deal with the temple. But we already looked at how in Colossians, Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 19, he says that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. That it's in Jesus that we have access to God. It's in Jesus that we can be made clean and accepted in God's presence. It's in Jesus that we have an access point because he gives us that communion with God. I have come to reveal God unto, uh, uh, unto others. Uh, and so we realize that all of these things were shadows pointing forward. It's also significant here uh, that to realize that Paul uses the word Sabbath in the plural. If you use the King James, you'll notice that the King James preserves uh, that word in the plural, which is helpful. Because as we were re- reading there in Leviticus, there's the Sabbath and then there's a Sabbath. And then there's a Sabbath. Uh, There are many Sabbaths beyond the seven-day Sabbath. There are the Sabbaths of the festivals. There is the seven-year Sabbath. There is the year of Jubilee, where the land is to have uh, the restoration of uh, not only the land having a Sabbath, but the Jubilee, which gives the nation a Sabbath. So there are these rests that are woven into the whole way that the people live their lives. Their whole life was structured around these days of rest. But Paul is saying, they're still shadows. They were pointing beyond themselves. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of First Fruits, they pointed beyond themselves to a greater reality. Now, some take Paul's words here uh, and conclude that Paul must mean that there is no longer any duty to set apart any day unto the Lord. Because Paul says uh, there in verse uh, 17 uh, that these are a shadow of the things to come. And he uses the word Sabbath. And in many churches, uh, the the language of Sabbath is carried into the new covenant in our our common speech. But Paul here says uh, the Sabbath is a a shadow of the things to come. uh, That no one is to pass judgment on you on these matters. And so sometimes people say, uh, Paul is teaching uh, that there is no longer any day to be set apart to the Lord. And this is one of the texts. Uh, Another one is in Romans 14, and another is in Galatians 4. But is Paul saying that here? Is Paul saying that there is no day to be set unto the Lord? We want to be careful. Uh, Paul uses the word Sabbath in the plural here not with reference to the principle of a day of rest, but specifically with reference to the old covenant economy, with the ceremonial law under Moses. 
He's talking here about the observance of uh, days, uh, uh, specifically. Paul is teaching that the Old Covenant practices, that their liturgical calendar that was wrapped up in their understanding of how to have access with God has been done away with because the reality of God's saving grace has come in Jesus. Now we approach God in him, and all of time is structured around him and his saving work. On the one hand, we can affirm that the feasts and the various Sabbath days have all been done away with. Those Sabbaths are done. But at the same time, we want to affirm that there is still a principle of rest that is to shape the way that the people of God live. Uh, because the Sabbath is bigger than the ceremonial law. The principle of rest is something that's not rooted in the ceremonial law. It's rooted in God's work in creation. That is, one person says, the goal of this creational pattern predates Israel's Sabbath. It was partially expressed in the nation's Sabbath, but it continues on after Israel's institutions, and it finds its, uh, find their completion and are abolished in Christ. In other words, when, when Christians set apart one day in seven, that's not based simply on the practice of the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. It's, it's established on how God created the world and gave a pattern for humanity to follow. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he rested from his work in order to reflect and to contemplate and to enjoy what he had done. That pattern becomes a pattern for all people at all time. So when we come to the New Testament and Jesus is asked about the Sabbath, what does Jesus say about the Sabbath? He says uh, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus teaches us that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Two things stand out there. One, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man. He didn't say the Sabbath was made for Israel. He said the Sabbath was made for humanity. It was made for human beings as human beings. That the principle of rest is a principle that God ordains for all of creation. That we are all to have this principle of work and rest. And we are to celebrate God's work and to rest in that. But for the new covenant believer, that principle of one in seven now goes beyond simply the work of creation or even the exodus in the old covenant. But what the exodus was pointing forward to, which is the redemption from sin. The reason why Christians set apart the first day of the week is to commemorate the resurrection. We are resting in God's work of salvation and celebrating God's work in Jesus Christ. So Jesus told us that the Sabbath was for all people, and secondly, it was meant to be a blessing. It was not meant to be something that was a drudge. It was not something that was to be a burden. It was something that was meant to delight and to uh, celebrate God for who he is. If we are to avoid the extremes of despising uh, any uh, principle of uh, acknowledging a Lord's Day 
or uh, of making it a burden, then it should be marked by simplicity. A simplicity that recognizes uh, a conscious decision to set aside the day to celebrating the Lord, uh, his redemption from sin in Christ, and enjoying the access, the communion that we can have with God through Christ. And so Paul here, when he says the Sabbaths are a shadow, he is right. The days, the liturgical calendar, the feasts, all of those things that were pointing ahead to Christ have been done away with. But the church now gathers celebrating what Christ has done and also with a hope of the future rest that will be uh, enjoyed in the consummation. So we have the shadows, the dietary laws, and uh, the festivals, and the Sabbaths. But then secondly, we have the substance. In verse 17, uh, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Uh, Paul will go on to talk about how they're not to be uh, uh, pressured about uh, laws of do not touch and do not taste, um, because all of these things find their fulfillment in Christ. But those who were insisting on maintaining these traditions were still living as though they were in the old age. Uh, but Paul says that is simply a shadow. But notice uh, what Paul is saying to the church here. Paul does not tell the church to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. Paul does not say that the Old Testament is an embarrassment and I don't want to talk about it. Paul is telling the church, you read the Old Testament and you understand its place in God's purposes, but it's pointing forward to Christ. And as it finds its fulfillment in Christ, you understand that it no longer is a carryover of a one-to-one -one correlation. But Paul's not embarrassed to appeal to the Old Testament. It is God's word. But he also is saying we have to look at all things in light of God's works in Jesus Christ. And so he says, they are a shadow, they are not the substance, they are not the ideal. Uh, but just think about that language. You young people, think about if you were outside and it's a sunny day, uh, and uh, you're, you're outside and you, you see a shadow, and then you look up instinctively, and you see someone's there talking to you. Would you return then to talking to the shadow? Or would you maintain eye contact with the actual person? You would know the difference. The shadow is not the person. The person is the person. And I'm going to talk to the reality. I'm going to talk to the person right there. Paul's arguing the same thing. These things were a shadow. But the reality has come. So interact with the reality. And he says these things were shadows. The substance, the reality is Christ. Now, uh, the word Paul uses here is a word that normally is the word body. But since he's contrasting it with shadow, you can understand why many translations use the word substance. Uh, it stands opposite to a shadow. Uh, the real thing is Christ, and that is what we should be focused on. And so he says, it's only in Christ that a person can be accepted in God's presence. The same principle uh, applies to all of us, even for the people living in the first century. To fail to live in light of Christ 
is to fail to understand the reality of God's works. To, to be fixated on anything else is to distort how it is that we can come into God's presence. We will think that we can make ourselves clean. We will think that we can redeem ourselves. But all of that ignores the glory of Jesus. This is why people, when they get so offended at the thought that they cannot save themselves because they were a good person, they don't see that they're trying to detract from the glory of Christ. They're, they're so fixated on what they have done that they're not re realizing the reality of God's works in Jesus. The glory that should be given to Jesus, they are wanting to give to themselves. And Paul here is telling us that the substance belongs to Christ. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Very quickly, uh, he says uh, not only uh, that the work uh, is found in Christ, but we can also say the word belongs to Christ. Again, the word that Paul uses here is the word body. Uh, oftentimes, we want to be cautious about the idea of there being a double meaning in scripture, uh, and for good reason. But there can be occasions where, uh, where the context might support it. Paul could have used other words to describe the form or the reality, uh, the substance, but he chose to use the word body here. Uh, and Paul has been using the word body throughout the letter of Colossians. And so it is possible to think that what Paul is trying to get at here is the importance of Christ's authority. You remember earlier in chapter one that he said that Christ is the head of the body. The church is under the governance of Christ. You remember that he'll go on in chapter two and he will say that the body holds fast to the head. So the body belongs to the head. And what Paul could be implying by using that word body is again at the end of the day, it's the word of Christ, the head, that matters. That it's, it's not necessarily the verdict or the opinions of others that guides the church. But the church is governed by the work of Christ. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And in him, his word is final because he is the head of the body. What does all of this have to do? You think again about the day and age we live in. The crushing weight of being rejected by others. Of being told that one is not worthy of being told that one is excluded either from God or excluded from uh, being on the right side of history. Paul is telling all of us of a way in which we can be delivered from that crushing weight, of living in fear of others or being controlled by what other people may say and do about us. He's telling the church that when you live in Christ, you're delivered from the opinions of others because something else counts more. You're living knowing who Christ is and you're living under his work. I may be canceled from society, but I am accepted with my God. I may be opposed by some who have a religious flavor to them, but I know where I stand with the people of God because of what Christ has said. So when we ask the question, 
how, how does a believer avoid having someone pass judgment on them? It's not by silencing them. It's not by putting tape on their mouth so that they can't talk. A believer does not allow someone to pass judgment on them by knowing the truth. By knowing the truth of what Christ has done. He is the substance. He is the focus of God's work. And of living in light of him by faith. And that can deliver us from being crushed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us in our own time uh, to know how to respond uh, to the verdicts and the opinions of others that may fail to live in light of your works. We pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to uh, treasure the Lord Jesus, to see him as the substance, uh, to see him as the reality uh, to which all the Old Testament was pointing towards. And we pray, Lord, that we would find our rest in him. So go before us and direct us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.